Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, uh, I'm Mallory Ortberg, and this is the Dear Prudence podcast. And that was actually the first time that I have ever heard the theme music that we are using for this show. And I just, I need to tell you all that I don't feel like I deserve it. Um, It's remarkable. It's wonderful. But it sounds like I'm about to lead you on an eight-week quest where we find out who D.B. Cooper was. Or it sounds like the kind of thing you play as a a madman-style montage of businessmen continue to fall from the sky. I feel like... It's about lives falling apart and mysteries finally coming together and puzzle pieces sliding into place. And I just plan on telling people that they should talk to their in-laws more. Um, So I'd like to apologize in advance for not being able to live up to the sort of majestic music you just heard. Um, Please adjust your expectations accordingly. I was going through uh, older issues of the column. I say older issues. I've I've been at this job since November, so I have an archive of about eight. Um, and I saw uh, one of the answers that I gave for Slate Plus popped up as like a mini headline. And it just said, you don't have to buy wedding gifts, according to Dear Prudence. And um, I just wanted to expand upon that for a minute because it was a really wonderful, completely binding and official ruling. I completely forgot that I had made uh, because somebody had written in feeling really guilty over the fact they hadn't bought a friend a wedding gift, even though they had traveled internationally and stayed at a very expensive hotel. Um, and I'm really willing to die on this hill. I, I feel very strongly that you do not have to buy someone a wedding gift, even if you attend their wedding, and you can still consider yourself a good person. And uh, if you have a wedding and someone you know, goes to the trouble and expense of of traveling far away to to watch you get married, and then you are angry that they didn't also, you know, order you Chinaware from the internet, I, I urge you to reconsider the things that you get mad about. Um, you know, I, I, I bring wedding presents now because I, I have a job. You know, this was this was more of a policy of my early 20s. Obviously, if you are you know, if you wake up every morning and you have to step carefully to the bathroom because you might step on your Fabergé eggs and your crystal cigarette holders and your crystal cigarettes, you know, sure, bring one along. Um, generosity is wonderful if you have something to be generous with. But no, don't get angry at your like 21-year-old cousin who can't afford to buy you a decanter. What, what have you ever decanted? When have you ever decanted anything in your miserable life? You never have. Don't lie to me. You're not regularly hosting murder mystery dinner parties. You know, actually, given the theme music of this show, probably a lot of these listeners do host murder mystery dinner parties, in which case, you know, I give you permission to buy yourself a decanter. I need some advice because I've never done a podcast. And, you know, who doesn't need advice? So here with me is fellow advice giver and good friend of mine, Leah Reich. You may know her as one of the first people ever to give advice on the Internet. Please do not investigate that claim. You can read her work at The Verge and numerous other places as well, including The New York Times, which I really wanted to talk about before we got into the serious stuff, because you wrote something recently about ants, not the people who are related to your dad or mother, but 
the kind that live in your house and terrify you. Yeah. Um, and anxiety. And you just saved my business partner, Nicole Cliff, from an ant infestation. I mean, that's what I'm here for. And I would love uh, to hear you talk about that for a minute. Um, so we live in California. We do. As you probably know. Um, and California has a pretty significant ant problem because we have an invasive species called the Argentine ant. And there is a colony in California that's about 540, 560 miles long of Argentine ant. Um, just in the one, same direction? It's just one big, long colony that just stretches. That's like the five. There's like a 3,000-mile colony in Europe. So, <laughs> so count upsetting. yourself lucky that you live here and not there. Okay. Um, and it's a weird species of ant. It um, it requires fewer workers um, per queen to start a nest. They can take over the nest of other ants. They're just like very hardy and really a pain in the ass. Um, and la- in, in drought times especially, we get really bad ants. And I had just ant infestation after ant infestation after ant infestation. Um, and uh, I finally started using the, you know, Terra liquid ant bait, which... Um, you know, as really stressful thing to use because when you first put it out, it's like throwing a kegger for your ants, but they all like swarm. It's like it's like if you walked in with a lot of free pizza somewhere and just put it down and then left, and then everyone who ate it died. But just like they just people like it. Just, there's more ants at first than there were before you put it down. Oh and no, no, no! That's a bad feeling if you're not into ants like I am. And ants give me an enormous amount of anxiety. I mean, I'm an anxious person anyway. I have, I have an anxiety all the time. Well, most of the time. Mm-hmm. And there's something about ants where it's just like. No matter how hard you swipe and clean, like they they just like magically reappear, and that to me is enormously anxiety producing. <laughs> I I'm, I can feel myself getting more anxious as we're having this conversation, and yeah. I'm also looking out of the corner of my yeah. eye, like right, are they here? The other day, I dropped something in the big one of those big green composting bins we have, and I had to get it out, and there was just ants all over me, and I just felt bad for a while. Um, and so the thing for me about using those tarot ant baits was realizing that sometimes. When you first address your anxieties, it kind of rushes forward and it feels more intense. And, like, there's really only one way through that, which is to patiently wait and to be very methodical and to do what works and to sort of breathe your way through it. And eventually they might kind of surge again, but over time you're working to get to the root or, you know, to eradicate the colon, that, that nest. And also knowing that, like, even if you eradicate a nest, like, you might win one of the battles, but, like, you never really win the war. Ants aren't they come going back. anywhere. Ants aren't going anywhere, neither anxieties. This is really helpful because <laughs> I, a couple of years ago I was opening my dresser drawers and I saw a pretty small cockroach mm. on top of my clothes. Mm-hmm. And, and then you burned all your clothes. Actually, I turned on every light in the house, <laughs> uh, locked the door behind me, and left for three days. So that is another way that you can deal with your anxieties is turn on all the lights and go away. Okay, so enough talk of bugs, I think. Uh, I would love to talk to you a little bit more advice professional to advice professional. Indeed. Um, You were uh, an early internet advice columnist. Yeah, so I worked at um, IGN, which is still around, IGN.com. And I worked at IGN for a while, and at some point um, I sort of organically developed this advice column, um, number one being – in the late 90s, it was like 98, maybe, mm-hmm. um, being one of the only women in a masthead on a, on a gaming site in 1998 or 99 was unusual. I'm sure super relaxing and <laughs> easy. It was, it was actually pretty chill. I mean, I'm sure there was stuff that now I look back on and say, that was probably not entirely appropriate or that was weird. Mm-hmm. But it was not horrible yeah. or mean the way that things can be today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, a, we had a lot of readers and, you know, we, like our our tone was very like, let's make fun of everybody. Let's make fun of each other. Let's, let's joke around. 
And over time, you know, I, I sort of created a mailbag and I would talk about like what I was listening to and we would all joke around and like, you know, they would kind of write me like I was this sort of personality. And then one day one of them asked me a question. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, you're the only girl I talk to. <laughs> it was the cutest thing. Wait, so like it turned into an advice yeah. column. Yeah, it did. Um, I mean, it was mostly teenage boys at that time. Um, and then it sort of spread into a much larger audience, predominantly teenage guys. But I mean, I had like, I had, you know, I had grandpa write me once and he was like, I wish you'd been around, you know, like 45 years ago. Um, I had moms write me and say, will you answer my son's email because you're the only person he'll listen to. Oh, my gosh. It was it was pretty neat. Um, but I was actually, I wrote, when I look back, sometimes I kind of dig through the archives and I was writing really amazing stuff, like really straightforward, very upfront um, sex education stuff, like about, you know, birth control and like the birth, like how it's totally like it's not just the women's responsibility. And like I was writing, I mean, I wrote about like trans issues in 1999. Like I had, someone wrote me and asked me about that, you know, LGBTQ stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're like pretty serious stuff, but also, you know, it's like goofy stuff in the features. And so I wrote, but the, so the questions I got were like, they really varied. So I ended up breaking out the columns. I had Ask Leah was every day, mm-hmm. which was a couple of letters. And then I, if I had a really tough one, like I got suicidal kids, I got bullied kids, I got all kinds of people. Um, that was in Tough Love. And then I got a lot of questions um, about the penis, the testicles, the everything. Sure. <laughs> um, like lots That's my favorite way now of describing anyone's the penis. setup. Just the penis, the testicles, everything. <laughs> you know, the junk area. Sure. Um, so, like, lots of dudes would be like, I have these bumps on my balls. What are they? And I was kind of like— Go to a doctor? Well, number one—well, number one, I would say— you you have also told me that you are a virgin and have never actually been touched in a sexual way. So let's discount, first of all, that it is an STD because they don't just magically appear. That's right. not how they work. Um, luckily, my mom, uh, who's retired now, was was a doctor. So I could I could ask her lots of these questions and she could help me with that. Um, and, you know, a lot of them was like they're I mean, a lot of them were like those are skin follicles that are inflamed. So maybe stop rubbing your junk so much and go outside was often an answer. Um, Good advice for all of us, I mean, frankly, like, you know, rub your junk maybe a little bit less, spend more time in the sun, I think is a good life motto. This is a really wonderful twist on, like, the Michael Pollan thing, which is just, like, (laughs) masturbate slightly less. Go outside slightly Slightly more. more. Not too much. (laughs) It also, I kind of love how it seems like one common thread, whether it's about, uh, you know, someone's penis in the 90s or someone's feelings in 2016, uh, is this idea that a lot of people write into advice columnists just to say, am I the only person who's ever experienced this? And is it okay for me to experience this? Yeah. No, I I think that's very true and a really powerful part of, like, what it is that we do. Because there's this sense of, you know, you're kind of always looking around, you're like, am I weird? Mm -hmm. Is this weird? Mm -hmm. Is what's going on weird? What actually is normal? Because when you're, like, I was actually, when I was driving here, I was thinking about this, like, this kind of funny life philosophy that I have, which is I used to be totally freaked out that everyone thought I was, you know, dumb or weird or an idiot or they were they were saying things about me. And yes, definitely people, we all <laughs> talked about each other behind our back. You know, whatever. That happens all the time. Um, but I would say that the percentage of it is so much less than you think because approximately 87% of the time, people are totally thinking about themselves. And they're constantly like, am I weird? Am I normal? Is this okay? Who's thinking about me? And if you are thinking about yourself 80% of the time, that only leaves 13% to talk about other people, which is a bit yeah. like, and, and you have to also parcel it out along, like amongst everyone. So people aren't talking about you a lot less. So I think that you're right. Like that sense of us, like as people who it's, it's, we're not like, it's not like we're solving like these deep 
incredible philosophical issues that are like so hard for other people to grasp. It's more like saying, taking, like digging under the surface and saying, this is what's normal. This is what's maybe like something that you need to reconsider. Mm -hmm. And frankly, everybody has this problem. So don't think like you're you know, either a special snowflake or, like, a total freak. Yeah. Like, you're, you're in the normal range of experience, but, like, here's maybe how you want to think about you it. You could easily, I think, 80% of an advice column is a reassurance column. Yeah. Which is just to say, yeah, you're probably not alone. Right. Or maybe this shouldn't be the feeling that influences your next decision, but yeah. you don't need to worry about not feeling this way. Totally. You can just feel this way, and right. that's fine. Okay, on that note, before we move on, do you have any advice for me about being on a podcast? Well, because you've been on at least two. I have been on at least two podcasts. Um, I, you know, I think the advice is don't do radio voice. <laughs> Just talk like Mallory. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you suggest that at any point I would lapse into radio voice? <laughs> I think the, the the other advice I have is is um, is sometimes like it, it's hard. I'm one of those people who thinks things through by talking them mm-hmm. out. And not everybody is like that. So I think letting yourself just kind of talk and know that it's going to be fine just to kind of say things, even if it feels like, oh, my gosh, what if I say this and I sound like a total idiot? Mm-hmm. Um, that's totally fine. Just then, say it. And then I'll sound great. like an idiot and life will continue. Life will continue. And, you know, like, I think the only other thing is is definitely find people to be on the podcast with you, like sitting in a room with for at least an hour. I do like sitting in a room with you. Hooray. I have a really, I have a really nice time sitting in a room with you. Well, I'm really delighted to hear that. Oh, my gosh. I I can't do this for even another second. Okay. uh, Quick break. Okay. So now Leah and I are going to talk through some of your questions. And hopefully you and I will have a just vigorous disagreement that will keep people captivated and coming back for more. I hope we throw things just kind of around the room, even though no one can see it. They'll maybe just hear it. Yeah, that sounds yeah. great. Yeah, like those old-timey radio shows where they would, like, beat coconuts together and, yeah. like, make a lot of sound effects. Yeah, we'll just, like, we'll punch a steak. Well, what does that sound like? Like getting, you know, like, a, you can't punch a person in the face, but if you want to hear, like, the sound of fist hitting meat, you go pop. Oh, right in steak. okay. Yes. No, that's very fair. I will, I will work on getting us a steak while you read aloud from the mailbag. I also like saying pop right in the steak. <laughs> All right. All read, right. A, read a letter. Read a letter. My mother decided to divorce my father two years ago. The divorce was finalized about a year ago, and six months ago, they finally moved out of our family home where they'd been living together while divorced and sold it. My mother moved across the country, now living far away from her friends and family and further from my siblings and me. I find myself very critical of decisions she has made both before and after the divorce. Not only that, I'm increasingly resenting her as a person. I've been seeing her as selfish, entitled, naive. Prudy, I'm not against divorce at all. I don't think it's wrong to try for a fresh start past age 50. And my mother was always a great mom while I was growing up. I feel like it's been a long time since I was a teenager and realize that my parents are humans and imperfect. Why can't I accept my mother's decisions, even though I disagree? Although she knows but doesn't entirely understand why, I was hurt by the divorce and the move. I try not to voice my criticisms of her. Still, my opinions of her color every interaction— Even after a perfectly genial phone conversation with her, I'll feel angry and resentful for the rest of the day. Now that she lives so far away, it's easy to avoid contact. In the midst of finding herself, my mother doesn't reach out to me very often either. Should I avoid talking with her and give myself time to come past my anger? Or is my relationship with my mother in danger of deteriorating permanently if I don't keep trying? I have so many thoughts on this. Yeah, I saw (laughs) this one and I thought, wow, uh, there's a lot going on. Luckily... 
no one understands what it's like to have complicated feelings about their mom or their mom's autonomy yeah. or choices. Never or, happened. Mm-mm. Not in the history of the world. Um, do you want to know my immediate gut reaction on this? What was it? My immediate gut reaction is, I, like, you're, she was a great mom. Yeah. She's a wonderful person. And this person has, on this letter writer, number one, acknowledges, I'm not a teenager anymore, mm-hmm. but still says I was hurt by the divorce and the move. And I think in some ways, this person still wants their mom to be the great mom. Like, th- they want to grow up and be an adult, mm-hmm. but not let their mom grow up past being a great mom. And what right. I think is really cool about this is it's like, it's kind of like, ha- like it's almost like now the mom's a teenager and wants to go off and find her life and figure her stuff out and be her own person and maybe do things like live the life she feels like she didn't get to live because mm-hmm. she was too busy being a great mom and a great wife yeah. and living in a place she didn't really want to. And now she's like, check this out, world. Woo! No, and it was interesting. There's no mention of how the letter writer feels about their dad no. in here at all. None. Um, so, of course, like, I'm trying to fill in the blanks with a lot of my own assumptions. But it's really interesting that this is entirely about, this has changed how I see my mom. This has changed how I talk to my mom. Who cares about my dad? He's the same guy he always was. Right. And so I'm looking over it, and it says, the one thing that the mom did was seemingly move far away, get divorced and move. Mm -hmm. And there's not clear, like, what other decisions are bad. It's like if your mom moved, divorced, moved, and then suddenly was, like, lying in, like, a shooting gallery with, like, on the top of a hundred needles that weren't hers. And At first I thought you meant, like, a shooting gallery, like, at a carnival, and I was like, no. That would be cool. I mean, like, doing dope. Sure, yeah. It doesn't say, like, she's making all these terrible decisions, dating awful men, calling me all hours of the night drunk. Right, or, like, you know, she's she went and then she gave all her money to some guy who swindled her but, like, won't listen to me. Sure. It just seems like she got divorced and she moved and she's having fun. Mm -hmm. It's the finding herself part that makes me feel like your mom's having a really good time. Yeah. And that kind of sucks for you, but not for your mom. And it's really hard to say, wow, it sucks for you, for me, that you're not here and really close and we don't have the relationship that I want. And like, I think, I feel like the thing I would say is stop and think about what what you feel and what your mom might be feeling and maybe just really honestly say, Mm -hmm. hey, mom, I love you and I miss you. And I'm really happy you're doing this because I know it's important for you. But I'm also finding it hard for me. And I recognize that, like, maybe that's kind of because I always want you to be my mom, even mm-hmm. if I don't always want to be your teenager. And I would really love it if we could find a way to talk, like, in that feels really supportive and, and good for both of us. Because I don't want to lose you as, like, you're my mom. I don't want to yeah. lose this relationship with you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's clearly gotten to a point where if they feel like they can't even have a civil conversation with their mother, yeah. like, I don't think that, I think the option they floated at the end was, do I just forget about this and try to move on? I don't think that that's going to be a very... No, that's a terrible that's, And that's not really an option at this point, right? No. Like, eventually your mom's going to notice that you can't get a civil word out of your mouth when you talk. Well, and that's the thing, is it doesn't say, like, every time we talk, we fight. It's like, even after really genial conversations, I'm angry Yeah, it sounds resentful. Like, it sounds like they are not in the habit of expressing any opinion or emotion to their mother other than, that's great, I love you, you're fantastic, you're a good mom. Right. Um, which sometimes you have to be able to do. Yeah, so, I mean, I think, and I think it's totally fine to say hey mom i don't want to criticize you but i want to find like i want to find a way where i can really be supportive of this because clearly you're off living a life that makes you happy beyond just being my mom Mm -hmm. but like 
how, how can we talk about like the ways in which this has impacted me and ways that might come across as kind of selfish? Yeah. And I just I want to be able to talk it through. And I also think that that would be something helpful for this letter writer to talk about with a therapist or at totally. the very least some friends because. Yeah. I understand even if you're not a child, when your parents get divorced as an adult, you're still going to have feelings, of course. But you also need to remember those feelings don't necessarily need to be directed at your mother all the time. Right. You can have a conversation or two, but, like, if you really need to have it out, Mm -hmm. if you need to just cry to somebody and say, my mom moved away and I'm in a lot of pain, like, you need to talk to a therapist. That's not your mom's problem. No, totally. She gets to... She gets to do this. Yeah. Your mom has not done anything wrong. Yeah, not at all. I think it's the important thing. Well, I think we just fixed this person's whole life. Me too. I think we should move on to the next question. Definitely. All right. We also asked you guys to call in and leave voicemails of your various problems. And due to the laws of cause and effect, many of you did. And now we're going to play one of them. Dear Prudy, uh, my name is Bridget, and I'm calling because I'm um, quite, I'm a little successful. I get a little success. Um, but my little sister never likes my professional, my statuses on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Um, and it's really annoying because I've had some tough times where I wasn't getting as much accomplished. And now that I'm on the upswing and um, like getting more success professionally, she never expresses interest. She never talks about it. If I bring it up that I got a promotion or something, she changes the subject. And it's really confusing and hurtful. Um, She recently had a baby. And, of course, I'm really excited. I love her daughter. I like every single picture. I comment on every picture. But she never reciprocates for the accomplishments I do. Um, And I don't really know how to approach it. Part of me thinks she's an adult. And I can't force her to like something, and I have to adjust my expectations. But I don't understand why she doesn't take interest in my successes when I take when I take interest in hers. Thanks so much. Bye. So the first thing I want to do is not make fun of the fact that this is about social media likes. Right. I think that would be really easy. Um, I think clearly what's at stake here is not just someone being shallow and demanding a lot of attention online. It's somebody who says, I feel like my relationship with my sister is really fraught um, and I don't know why and I don't know how to bring it up. And yep. I think that's important. Clearly, she's not saying my sister's really supportive when we're together in person, but she's really withholding online. Right. Like, obviously, the problem is my sister changes the subject when I say that's something like that's the big promotion. problem. Right. One of the things that I've thought a lot about um, as I've gotten older and as I've answered a lot of emails and also just thought about my, like, the way I interact with people mm-hmm. is there's the way that you think you are behaving and and the way that you think you're acting and, and talking to people. And then there's the realization that everybody comes with their own lens and their own perception. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's not that I think this person is, like, always talking about her success or whatever. And she says, you know, she had some really tough times and now she's on the upswing. Mm-hmm. Um But I also, we have, there's no way to know, like, has she always kind of wanted to talk about herself with her sister? Is her sister sort of like, I just, I'm like, I get it. You've had all these problems. I'm really glad you're successful now. But like, I just, I don't want to, I just want to talk about something else. Like, Mm -hmm. it's the constantly changing the subject that could be her sister feels 
is just not very nice mm-hmm. and doesn't care about her success and mm-hmm. just wants to, to talk about something or else. Or feels insecure on some level. Or feels insecure like, you know, I had a baby rather than this thing I wanted to do. Or like, I, you know, I, I'm conflicted because I really love Which my kid. Which maybe she has a baby and is a test pilot. I don't know. No maybe idea. she's a wildly right. successful new mother. Right. So, you know, we don't we don't know that detail. And so I, the the only thing we can say is either there's something going on with your sister that she's, that like, she's really having a hard time with regarding you and your success. Mm-hmm. Or um, you're asking too much. Or you're asking too much. Or, like, there's a way in which you're, you know, you don't say, like, she stopped being successful. It's like she just isn't. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's something in the dynamic about do you talk about yourself a lot? Like, I know you like all the pictures. I know you love her baby. But, like, when you go over and talk, do you always want to talk about what's going on in your life, either, like, the really hard stuff or now the really successful stuff? Right. Or when you go over to her house, are you kind of like, hey, so, like, tell me about your mom group or, like, tell me about that test pilot thing that you did. Yeah. I don't know what test pilots do, but they fly, um, I guess. Yes. But, like... <laughs> That's a big part of it, yeah. Yeah, no, and I think... I'm trying to think of, you know... I also wonder, like, how how many of your social media status updates are about how great your job is? Right. I feel like it's totally understood and kind of accepted if you get a cool promotion or a really cool opportunity, you might say something. But certainly not on a daily or a weekly basis do most people say stuff like, I love my job. My boss really gets me. I'm so right. successful. Like, if it's happening that often. I mean, if, if there are enough status updates on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that are professional success-related that you're feeling like you never do this, mm-hmm. m- maybe also there is something in the way that you're present, like, you know, that you're presenting yourself. And I, and I, I say this with, a, like, a lot of love and a lot yeah. of understanding because I think we all sometimes fall into times in our lives when we kind of only ever talk about ourselves, like, you went through a really hard time, and that was a really big struggle. So you probably talked about it a lot, and you felt really bad, and you needed a lot of support. Yeah, and now you feel and like now, you really want to show. And now you it's want okay. To, you need a different kind of support now. And so I think maybe what would be an interesting experiment is to spend, like, give yourself some time, and every time you see your sister, talk about her. Ask mm-hmm. her lots of questions. Show a lot of interest in, like, the random things that are going on. And don't bring yourself up and see what happens. Mm-hmm. See if she starts to ask about you again. Mm-hmm. So, like, hey, I haven't heard you talk about work in a while. What's going on? And you can say, oh, it's been really great, and I'm really happy. Thank you so much for asking. I'm really glad, like, I love being able to talk about it with you. Right. Maybe that would be an experiment just to see, like, if she never brings it up, then you could say, hey, you know, it's really kind of frustrating because, like, mm-hmm. I'm really – I really want to be interested and involved in your life, and I would love for you to be interested and involved in mine. But you've kind of done this experiment where you're saying, let's talk about you. Right. And I feel like alternately um, – I think it's absolutely appropriate if you're talking about something at work and your sister changes the subject for you to stop and say, hey, I noticed that you do this when I talk about work and it makes me feel a little bit slighted and and I want to know why. Exactly. But then, like, cool it with the status updates that are all about how great your job is. I mean, what's what's going on here is she's like, look at the shiny part of me on social media and tell me that it's good. Tell me that I'm not Mm going to go back to the tough times. Tell me that I don't have to worry about being unemployed again. And it's like, this is your sister. You can get pretty raw with her. Yeah. You can have a difficult conversation. Right. You can tell her what you're anxious or insecure about and you can say it hurts me when you don't do this. Can we discuss it? And right. you don't have to turn it into a massive fight, but you can get a little vulnerable with each other, your siblings. Right. Um, but you can't or you shouldn't let your 
feelings of closeness with your sister be dictated by whether or not she's like clicking like on the shiny chrome safe version of yourself that right. you really need to bolster so you feel like nothing bad can happen to you professionally. And yeah. again, I don't want to make it sound like you're a monster who's only ever posting big, you know, humble bragging statements because mm-hmm. I don't know that you do. But um, I, I definitely think you can find other things to talk about online that aren't just here's how great my job is. Here's right. my new promotion. Here's how cool I look doing this thing. Now I'm picturing them both as being test pilots, honestly. <laughs> um, I really hope they are. And frankly, like, updating their Facebook, like, as they're flying, which I yeah. think is very dangerous and you shouldn't yeah. do it. Don't do that. Leah, thank you so much for being here um, and for sharing your wisdom with us. Thanks, Mallory. This was an absolute delight. Uh, and I, you know, loved hearing your wisdom as well. It was really fantastic. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Leah writes a weekly advice column at The Verge, and you can follow her on Twitter at OhHeyGreat. That's OhHeyGreat. So something that I've talked a little bit about recently, and I'd like to revisit here, is a theme that I'm noticing in more letters than I'm comfortable with, which is generally women writing in about their boyfriends and husbands. Uh, It does seem to fall pretty clearly along a gender divide. Um, And their husbands do things like refuse to brush their teeth, ever. And then on top of that, refuse to go to the dentist. And the letters are often written in this really kind but terrifying way, which is, you know, my husband's a really great guy, and I don't want to be a nag, but he hasn't brushed his teeth in five years. And when we fall asleep at night, the smell that comes out of his open mouth is so distressing that I can't sleep. Should I say anything? Am I not chill enough? Or, you know, my husband regularly pisses on the bathroom floor when he uses the toilet, and he doesn't clean it up. Should I say anything? And I think you should always be kind when you're speaking to someone you love. You should always be kind when you're talking to them about something sensitive like personal hygiene. Um, Sometimes there are underlying issues like a chronic fear of the dentist Or I actually can't think of any other underlying issues, but I'm sure that some exist that you want to be sensitive to. You don't want to belittle or speak to uh, with contempt your partner. Um, But yes, it is acceptable to say to someone, you should brush your teeth. You should go to the dentist. You are an adult and you should treat your body like it's something you're going to live in for the rest of your life. And and I, I worry that there are a lot of women out there who think it's rude to suggest that their husband consider flossing. Um, I'm also really curious to see if this happens uh, in any other gender setups. So I'm really interested in hearing, you know, if there's any women dating women out there who are like, yes, my girlfriend, she doesn't go to the dentist either, and she won't. She gets furious with me if I bring it up. And, you know, she hasn't brushed her teeth in a hundred years, and her tooth, her mouth is full of spiders. Um, I want to hear from you. And men, you know, if your girlfriends and your wives are doing this, let let me hear from you, because uh, I I don't want to be too gender essentialist or reductive about this. But so far, you know, all I'm hearing from are these very nervous wives who feel like they can't ask their husband to clean up puddles of urine from the bathroom floor. Um, If it's just a matter of, oh, I can't be bothered to look at the ground once I step away from the toilet because I'm too busy. There's not enough time. Um, You know, if someone tells you that you're regularly peeing on the floor and, and you are able to clean up after yourself, I believe that you should do so. 
Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you'd like to hear your question on the Dear Prudence podcast, call and leave us a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 401-371-3327. And you may hear your answer on an episode of the show. You also may not. Nothing in life is guaranteed. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. If you want, you can also record your question using the Voice Memo app on your phone. Send it to me at prudence at slate.com. We'll be back soon with more of everything. Question. When we change their voices, can we make it in like a Katherine Hepburn accent? Like, dear Prudence. I'm very worried about my sister. She never likes any of my status updates on Instagram. My, she was yah. <laughs>